Chapter Seven of Bunker Bean by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bean had once attended a magician's entertainment and there suffered vicariously the agony endured by one of his volunteer assistants. Suavely, the entertainer begged the help of some kind gentleman from the audience. He was insistent, exerting upon the reluctant ones the pressure of his best platform manner. When the pause had grown embarrassing, a shamed-looking man slouched forward from an aisle seat amid hearty cheers. He ascended the carpeted runway from aisle to stage, stumbled over footlights, and dropped his hat. Then the magician harried him to the malicious glee of the audience. He removed playing cards, white rabbits, and articles of feminine apparel from beneath the coat of his victim. He seated him in a chair that collapsed. He gave him a box to hold and shocked him electrically. He missed his watch and discovered it in the abused man's pocket, and when the ordeal was over, the recovered hat was found to contain guinea pigs. The kind gentleman from the audience had been shown to be transcendently awkward, brainless, and to have a mania for petty thievery. With burning face and falling glance, he had stumbled back to his seat, where a lady who had before exhibited the public manner of wife to husband toward him now pretended that he was an utter and offensive stranger. Bean, I say, had once suffered vicariously with this altruistic dolt. His suffering now was not vicarious. For three days he endured on the raw of his own soul tortures even more ingeniously harrowing. To be shut up for three hours a day with breed was bad enough, but custom had a little dulled his sensitiveness to this, and he could look breed over and write down in beautiful shorthand what he thought of him. But the other breeds! Mrs. Breed, a member of one of the very oldest families in Omaha, he learned, terrified him exceedingly. She was an advanced dresser, he had to admit that, but she was no longer beautiful. She was a plucked rose that had been too long kept. The petals were rusting, crumpling at the edges. He wondered if Breed had ever wished to be wrecked on a desert island with her. She surveyed Bean through a glass-and-gold weapon with a long handle, and on the two subsequent occasions, when she addressed him, called him Mr. Brown. Once meeting him in the hall, she seemed to believe that he had been sent to fix the telephone. And the flapper's taller sister of the languishing glance how quickly had she awakened him from that golden dream of the low-lying atoll and the wrecked ship in a far sea she did flirt with anyone no doubt about that she adroitly revealed to bean an unshakable conviction that he was desperately enamoured of her and that it served him right for a presumptuous nobody she talked to him preened herself in his gaze and maddened him with a manner of deadly roguishness then she flew to exert the same charm upon any one of the resplendent young men who were constantly riding over or tooting over in big black motor-cars. They were young men who apparently had nothing to do but go in for things, riding, tennis, polo, golf. To all of them she was the self-confident charmer, just the kind of girl to make a fool of you and tell about it. Twenty-four hours after her first assault upon him, he was still wrecking the ship at the entrance to that lagoon, but now he watched the big sister go down for the third time while he placidly rescued a stoker to share his romantic isolation. The flapper and grandma, the demon, were even more objectionable, and what was worse, they alarmed him. Puzzled as to their purpose, he knew not what defense to make. 
he was swept on some secret and sinister current to an end he could not divine the flapper lay in wait for him at all hours when he might appear did he open a door she lurked in the corridor did he seek refuge in the gloom of the library she arose to confront him from his dimmest nook did he plan a masterly escape by a rear stairway she burst upon him from the ambush of some exotic shrub to demand which way he had thought of going he had never thought of a way that did not prove to have been her own the creature was a leech if she had only talked he believed that he could have thrown her off but she would not talk she merely walked beside him insatiably sometimes he thought he could detect a faint anxiety in the look she kept upon him but mostly it was the look of something calm secure ruthless something it unnerved him it was usually probable that grandma the demon would join them the silver cigarette case dangling at her girdle then he was sorely beset they would perhaps talk about him over his head discuss his points as if he were some new beast from the stables i tell you he's over an inch taller than i am announced the flapper um replies grandma measuring bean's stature with narrowed eye um you show her commanded flapper in a louder voice as if she believed him deaf she grasped his arm and whirled him about to stand with his back to hers there said the flapper tensely her eyes staring ahead there you're scrooching accused the demon not a bit and see how square his shoulders are she turned to point out this grace of the animal ever take any drugs ever get any habits like that queried the demon plainly bean's confession to an unusual virtue had aroused her suspicion he might be a drug fiend he faltered wretchedly wishing breed would send for him i well i used to be made to take sulphur and molasses every spring but i never kept it up after i left home hm said the old lady just as if he could tell a lot more if he chose she gripped one of his biceps he was not ashamed of these the night and morning drill with that home exerciser had told even though he was not yet so impressive as the machine's inventor who in magazine advertisements looked down so fondly upon his own flexed arm for goodness sake exclaimed the demon respectfully being thrilled at this feeling like a primitive brute of the cave times accustomed to subduing women by force after that they seemed tacitly to agree that they would pretend to show him over the grounds bean hated the grounds which were worried to the last square inch into a chilling formality and the big glass conservatory was stifling like an overcrowded overheated auditorium and he knew they were drawing him out they looked meaningly at each other whenever he spoke they questioned him about his early life but learned only that his father had been engaged in the express business he was ably reticent did he believe that women ought to be classed legally with drunkards imbeciles and criminals he did not if you came down to that let them vote if they wanted to he had other things to think about more important he didn't care much either way voting didn't do any good he had taken the ideal attitude to enrage the woman suffragist she will respect opposition careless indifference she cannot brook grandma opened upon him and battered him to a pulpy mass within the half-hour he was supinely promising to remind her to give him a badge before he left and there was further talk of his marching at the next parade as a member of the men's league for woman's suffrage or at the very least in the column of men sympathizers 
He wondered, wondered. Were they trying to assure themselves that he was a fit man to be in the employ of old Breed? He could imagine it of them. As soon as they thought about voting, they began to interfere in a man's business. Yet this suspicion slept when he was with the flapper alone. Sometimes he was conscious of liking very much to be with her. He decided that this was because she didn't talk. The evening of his last day came. Breed, in a burst of garrulity, had said, had enough of this. Go town tomorrow. The flapper and even the demon had seemed to be stirred by the announcement. He resolved to be more than ever on his guard, but they caught him fairly in the open. How do you like his hair parted that way in the middle? demanded the flapper, with the calculating eye of one who ponders changes in a dwelling house. Um, considered demon gravely. Not bad. Still, perhaps exactly what i was thinking said the flapper cordially then to bean her tone slightly raised which way got to get off a bunch of telegrams lied bean oh all right we'll wait for you said the flapper right there she added pointing to the most expensive pergola on the place in the dusk of an hour later he slunk stealthily down a rear stairway and made a cautious detour into the grounds he earnestly meant to keep far from that pergola wait for him would they well he'd show them always spying on a man hounding him what business was it of theirs whether he had habits or not any kind of habits but he was to find himself under a spell such as is said to bring the weak-willed bird to the serpent's maw his traitor's feet dragged him toward the trap the odor of a cigarette drew his revolted nostrils he could hear the murmurous duet talking about him of course he would like to break in on them and for a little while be a certain corsican upstart in one of his most objectionable moods that would take them down a bit but instead he became something entirely different with the stealth of the red indian he effaced himself against a background of well-groomed shrubbery and crept toward the murmur at last he could hear words above the beating of his heart how can you know the demon was saying a child of your age the flapper's tone was calm and confident as one who relates a phenomenon that has become a commonplace i knew it the very first second i ever saw him something went over me just like that i can't tell you how but i knew well how can you know about him oh him the words implied that the flapper had waved a deprecating hand why i know about him in just the same way can't tell how it comes over you the demon a long drawn uh, hmm the flapper and he makes me perfectly furious sometimes too there was a stir as if they were leaving bean retreated a dozen feet before he breathed again so that was their game was it he'd see about that he waited for them to emerge but they had apparently settled to more of this high-handed talk then like an icy wave to engulf him came a name tommy hollins it came in the demon's voice indistinguishable words preceding it and in the flapper's voice came tommy hollins gently caressingly it seemed in truth the flapper had sniffed before uttering it and the sniff had meant good-natured contempt but bean had lost the sniff now he had it tommy hollins he identified the youth, a yellow-headed, pink-faced lout in flannels, who was always riding over and who seemed to go in for nearly everything. He had detected a romping intimacy between the two. 
so it was tommy hollins at once he felt a great relief he need worry no longer over the singular attentions of this young woman let tommy hollins worry he could admit now how grave had been his alarm and there was nothing in it he could meet her without being afraid he was almost ready to approach them genially and pass an hour in light conversation he advanced a few steps with this intention but again came the voice of the flapper replying apparently to some unheard admonition it came cold and terrible i don't care i've got the right to choose the father of my own children he blushed for this language a blush he could feel mantling his very toes he fled from there he saw that the moment was not for light conversation and even as he fled he caught the demon's prolonged hmm yet when he left in the morning the flapper lurked for him as ever materializing from an apparently vacant corridor he greeted her for the first time without ulterior questioning he thought he liked her pretty well now and she was undeniably good to look at in the white of her tennis costume the hair like nap's spots in its golden brown was filleted with a scarlet ribbon and her eyes shone from her freshened face with an unwanted sparkle decision certitude what was it he deemed that he knew tommy holland's coming to play she vouchsafed in explanation of the racket she carried are you glad to go glad to see my dog again he smiled as a man of the world he was on the verge of coquetry now that he knew it to be safe we'll bring him along too next time oh the next time he put it carelessly aside you'll be out again soon enough i simply know pops is going to have another bad spell in a week or so he could have sworn that the eyes of breed's daughter gleamed with cold anticipatory malice he shuddered for breed and he wished tommy hollins well of his bargain flirt indeed all alike chubbins called the unconscious father from afar yes pops she gripped his hand with a well-muscled fervor oh he'll have another in a little while don't you worry and she was off with this evil in her heart to a father but now convalescent marveling he walked on to the demon's ambuscade she pounced upon him from behind a half-opened door i want to say one word young man oh you needn't think i don't see the way things are going i'm not blind if i am seventy-six if you're the tender and innocent thing you say you are you look out for yourself i know you all if you don't break out one time you do another i'd a good deal rather you'd had it over before now and put it all behind you don't interrupt but you're sound and clean as far as i can see and you've got a good situation i don't say it couldn't be worse but if you are well you see that you stay that way don't try to tell me i've seen enough men in my time he broke away from her at breed's call the flapper jerked her head twice at him very neatly as the car passed the tennis court she was beginning a practice volley with tommy hollins who was disporting himself like a young colt chubbins he thought not a bad name for her though it had come queerly from breed for the first time he was pricked with the needle of suspicion that hollins might not be the right man for the flapper hearing her called chubbins somehow made it seem different maybe hollins who seemed all of twenty wouldn't make her happy he thought it was something that the family ought to consider very seriously he was conscious of a willingness to consider it himself as a friend of the family and a well-wisher of chubbins he was back in the apartment and in the presence of a document that swept his mind of all breeds 
never had he in fancy ceased to be king ramta cheated of historic mention because of his wisdom and goodness he had looked commiseratingly upon breed's country house thinking of his own palace on the banks of the slow-moving nile probably made this place look like a shack he had exultantly thought and the benign monarch had ended his reign in peace to be laid magnificently away to repose undisturbed while the sands drifted over him until the hour had come my men have succeeded after incredible hardships wrote professor balthasar the goods will be delivered to you thursday night the tenth i trust the final payment will be ready as relying on your honour i have advanced the rest did not matter his honour was surely to be relied upon the money had been richly earned an able man this balthasar he had achieved the thing with admirable secrecy bean had feared the hounds of the daily press they might discover who it was to whom it was going discover the true identity of bunker bean the whole thing might come out in the papers but balthasar had known how he approved the caution that led him to speak of the goods there was something almost witty about it he leaned far out a window listening straining his eyes up and down the lighted avenue there was confusion in his mind as to how it could most fittingly be brought to him the sable vision of a hearse drawn by four lordly black horses at first possessed his mind but this was dismissed there was no death and the spectacle would excite comment the idea of an ambulance which he next considered seemed equally impracticable it would have to be done quietly balthazar would know trust balthazar he heard the rhythmic clump clump of a horse's hoofs on the asphalt pavement this was presently accompanied by the sound of wheels an express wagon came under the street lights balthazar rode beside the driver his frock coat and glossy tall hat having been relinquished for the garb of an ordinary citizen back of them in the wagon he could distinguish the lines of an object it had come to him in a common express wagon in a common crate and the driver did not even wear a black mask balthazar had cunningly eluded detection by pretending there was nothing to conceal he drew back from the window and with fast beating heart went to the open door they were already on the stairway balthazar was coming first with sublime effrontery he had impressed cassidy to help carry it and cassidy was warning the expressman to look out for that turn and not tear into the plaster it was lowered to the floor in the throne room cassidy and the expressman puffed freely and looked at the thing as if wondering how two men had ever been equal to it twould be bric-a-brac said cassidy genially that their halls choked with dust said the expressman with seeming irrelevance i noticed it meself said cassidy clog me throat up for fair continued the expressman huskily pay the men liberally and let them be on their way said balthazar being pressed money upon both and they departed you couldn't get me to do it again for twice the money said balthazar the nervous strain i've been under a custom-house detective was on our trail but one of my men took care of him at a dark corner bean shuddered they didn't oh nothing serious he'll be as well as ever in a few days got a hatchet he gestured significantly toward the crate but this was too precipitate for bean he could not disinter himself it seemed like that under the eyes of balthazar not now not now you've done your part here he passed balthazar the check he had written earlier in the evening i'll leave you then 
said the professor but one thing don't handle it much it might disintegrate i bid you farewell my young friend bean at the door listened to his descending steps the professor was whistling he recognized the air call me up some rainy afternoon it was a lively air and the professor rendered it ably but quite softly the door locked he was back staring at the crate that concealed his dead self he was helpless before it the fleshly tenement of a great king who had later flashed upon the world as napoleon the first and was now bunker bean could he bear to look he trembled and knew himself weak yet it would be done some time there was a vigorous knock at the door all was discovered the crime of assault at the dark corner had been traced to his door balthasar had betrayed him the egyptian authorities had discovered their loss the thing was there he was caught red-handed he reached the door and cautiously opened it an inch cassidy stood there armed with a hatchet they would use violence hatchet said cassidy genially extending the weapon he wiped his mouth with the back of his hand the aroma of beer stole into the room for brock's bric-a-brac insinuated cassidy thanks said bean accepting the tool we come from the sem county mayo him and me volunteered cassidy good night once more bean faced the crate it must be done at once discovery was too probable gingerly he forced the blade under one of the boards and pried the nails screeched horribly as they were withdrawn the task was simple enough the crate was a flimsy affair to have withstood so difficult a journey but after each board was removed he peered to the street from behind the closed blind half expecting to find policemen drawn to the spot a smoothly packed layer of excelsior greeted his eyes it was rather reassuring he felt that he might be unpacking any casual object exposed at last was the wooden case that enveloped him awestruck he looked down at it for a long time he recognized the workmanship having seen a dozen such in the museum in the park he knelt by it and ran a reverent hand over its painted surface in many colors were birds and beasts and men in profile and queer marks that he knew to be picture writing processions of slaves and oxen reapers and water-bearers the tints were fresh under their overlaying lacquer there was even a smell of varnish he wondered if the contents if it were in the same remarkable state of preservation he rapped on the thin wood it was cedar he thought or perhaps sycamore the sound was musical resonant the same note that had vibrated many thousands of years before knapp came up to smell seeming to suspect the box might contain food he stretched his forepaws to the top of the case and betrayed eagerness napoleon cried bean sternly putting the dog's complete name upon him for the first time he was banished to his couch and made to know that leaving it would entail unpleasantness the thought of the corsican came back with a new significance in that embodiment he had felt perhaps dimly recalled his egyptian life had he not been drawn irresistibly to egypt in the shadow of the pyramids he had read in a history the conqueror of italy deemed of the pomp and power of a crown and sceptre and upon his return to france from the egyptian expedition with characteristic energy he set himself to work to bring the dream to pass it was plain enough he knew now the inner meaning of that engraving he had bought in which napoleon stood in rapt meditation before the sphinx they had all 
king emperor bean been dreamers that brought their dreams to pass he mused long staring down at the case a queerly shaped thing fashioned to follow the lines of the human form from the neck the shoulders rounded gracefully they might have been cut to give the wearer the appearance of perfect physical development at least they seemed to fit him neatly it occurred to bean that the case should not lie prone it suggested death where death was not he pulled out more excelsior until he could raise the case it was surprisingly light and he leaned it upright against the wall he now tried to pretend that everything was over he gathered boards excelsior and the crate and piled them in the kitchenette which they approximately filled but inevitably he was brought back he stood with hands upon the cover of the upreared case drew a long shivering breath and gently lifted it off his eyes were upon the swathed figure within then slowly they crept up the yellowed linen and came to rest upon the bared face he had tried feebly to prefigure this face but never had his visioning approached the actual in its majestic still beauty the brow was nobly broad the nose straight and purposeful the chin bold yet delicate the grimness of the mouth was relieved by a faint lift of the upper lip perhaps an echo of the smile with which he greeted death there was a gleam of teeth from under the lip the eyes had closed peacefully the lids lay light upon their secrets as if they might flutter and open again on cheek and chin was a discernible growth of dark beard the hair above the brow was black and abundant it was a kingly face a face of command though benign it was all too easy to believe that a crown had become it well and there had been no weakening at the end no sunken cheeks nor hollowed temples the lines were full the general color was of rich red mahogany he ran a tremulous hand over the face smoothed the thick hair fingered the firm lips that almost smiled under the swathing of linen he could see where the hands were folded on the breast low down on the right jaw was unmistakably a mole a thing that had strangely survived on bean's own face again he ran a hand over the features then a corroborating hand over his own intently and long he studied each detail nostrils eyebrows ears hair the tips of the just revealed teeth god he breathed it was hardly more than a whisper and was uttered in all reverence then god how i've changed end of chapter seven